from Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the valley of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Norma. Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors, and it is uh, great, great to be here with you uh, on this nearing Easter morning, um, where I think we have to be careful with our nomenclature there. It's not a, you know, a baby petting zoo. We're not petting babies, just so we're clear. So if you, if you tuned out before we talked about chicks and ducks and things, there will be little animals. <laughs> babies welcome in the petting process, of course. So, Well, um, the day that Chris and Jet Curtis moved in next door to us would change like all of our lives. Uh, We'd been living on base, Becky and I, with our kids and we'd been there a few months and then suddenly this new family moved in next door and um, they were great. Becky and Chris really quick became like close friends, a lot of fun. Uh, But over the first few months and then about a year in, we came to realize there were some pretty real challenges and not too long after that, uh, Jet told Chris that he wanted a divorce. 
It's really painful, really traumatic. And of course, God was at work in the midst of all of this, but uh, they divorced. And uh, Jet moved down to Oklahoma City a few months later. And in that process, God used the tragedy, the suffering, the uncertainty of all that time to bring Christ to, to bring uh, to bring Chris to Christ. And it was beautiful. What was awesome is that really quick. Now, Chris is one of those people that I remember Becky and I talking. We we're like, man, if Chris came to know Jesus, like she would rock it out. Like she's just one of those people where you're like, oh man. And, and sure enough, like God got a hold of her heart. She just began to change. Like she got, found herself like awakened to God, like alive to his scripture. And it was amazing to be nearby. She'd call me late at night being like, okay, explain to me Abraham and Isaac. What is going on there? You know, like that kind of hunger. And, and you know, what's funny. Jet started seeing that too. He started seeing this different woman emerge. And even though they were distanced now and, and she was up in Omaha with her kids, like it became like really clear something is up and he found himself curious and kind of perplexed by it. Chris kept changing and growing and becoming a freer woman. And Jet saw that and next thing you know, he finds himself intrigued and interested in a different way. And he approaches her saying, hey, listen, I'd be interested in potentially reconciling. And, and Chris had to inform him that, listen, I have given my heart to God now and, and I will only marry a Christian. Well, right around that time, my mother-in-law and father-in-law uh, came to visit us. And um, I remember having a conversation with my, my mother-in-law, Carol, and she said, I am praying that Jet's going to come to know Jesus. And I remember saying, well, thinking, oh, you're so sweet. Bless your heart. You, you don't know Jet, like, like that's just like religion got, like that's not his thing. Like there's all kinds of trappings that are gonna make it super difficult. Like it's just, it's just not gonna happen. Like, it's just not gonna happen. But like, but like, you know what? So I said, good for you. You know, like that kind of spiritual encouragement. Um, well, lo and behold, through a series of some of the, like the most fascinating, way too much uh, story to be able to tell you this morning, some weird encounters with Christians by the side of the road when his car breaks down, like connections with Chris and conversations with Chris, meeting a pastor that's connected to our pastor in Omaha when he lives in Oklahoma City, and Jet comes to know Jesus. Just a few months later, they're engaged again. In February 1998, we were part of their wedding. Becky was the matron of honor, I was the best man, and it was an unreal day of celebration. Baptisms have happened, new life. It's a great celebration, and I think it's a picture of what it looks like when, when dead bones come to life. And so this morning, we're going to look at this morning's passage, a very unique, special vision that God gives to to Ezekiel um, under these three headings. First, we're going to look at the dry bones. Then we're going to look at this living spirit. And lastly, we're going to look at a sent prophet. So some dry bones, a living spirit, and a sent prophet. So first of all, these dry bones. These dry bones are telling us that the problem is worse than we think. The problem is worse than we think. Verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and, and he set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Very many bones and very dry bones. 
dead and dry. This is the long story of Israel, right? Which we've been following as we've been reading through the scriptures together throughout the whole year, realizing that their rebellion and their rejection of God has only increased, it's only multiplied, it's only deepened. And, and now in some ways we find ourselves kind of like at the ultimate picture of where things really are. The bottom of the relationship with God, disintegration. It's, they're not even people anymore. They're just, just brittle piles of death. All of them dead. Now, I think we'd all acknowledge that bones are kind of the deepest part of it, right? The kind of the, the, the core, the center of our physical body. And dead bones in this particular vision are a picture of what is wrong. Something's wrong with the human race. Now, if you're not a Christian or if you're kind of in a place where you're not sure about your faith, you may be trying to be putting that together exactly what is wrong. Yeah, clearly there's something wrong, but, but maybe not in a religious sense, but it's impossible to watch the news. It's impossible to interact with people that you love, especially people that you disagree with and realize there's not something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. Pretty much every church that has a creed or a confession agrees that there's something significant and serious that happened to the human race as a result of the first sin. The first sin resulted in original sin. Meaning that as the result of the sin of Adam and Eve, when they chose themselves, when they chose to trust themselves instead of God, that the entire human race fell. Fell out of intimacy, fell out of connection, fell out of unity and community with God. And our nature as human beings since the fall has been influenced by the power of evil. Theologians call this total depravity. Now, the idea of the total and, and total depravity doesn't, doesn't mean that all, all humans are as wicked as they could be. Now, everyone's like as bad as they could be. Like I, Stalin was probably nice to his mom sometimes, right? So not everyone's as wor the worst version of what they possibly could be. What it means is that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole of the person. And this fallenness that, that captures and grips our human nature, it affects our bodies, which is why we get sick and why we die. It affects our minds, the way we think. Not that we can't think after the fall. The scripture says that our minds have become darkened and, and weakened. We're no longer in our unspoiled state of, of moral power over itself. Our wills are bent. The New Testament says that we're in bondage. Our will is in bondage. We, we do what we desire and what we crave. We don't even do what we think we want to do been infected by the power of sin. In short, our whole person is taken in. As R.C. Sproul famously said, he says, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The problem is inside. Now, R.C. Sproul prefers to use the word radical depravity because he liked to have his own ideas about a lot of things. But the idea of radical is because it has to do with something that permeates the core. Radical literally comes from root, all the way to the root of the thing. 
And it's not, what that means is it's not something that's on the periphery. It's not something that's just laid on top, superficial. It's not a, it's not a stain of mustard on your white blouse or your white shirt. No, this is an understanding of sin that means that it affects every extent and permeates every bit of the core of a being. Even the word core comes from the Latin for cur, right, for heart. That is that our sin is something that comes from the heart. Hearts of stone, Ezekiel calls them. So in biblical terms, it means that what's wrong with us it comes from the very center of who we are. And in the midst of this realization, in the midst of standing in the middle of all these bones, God asks Ezekiel this question. In verse 3, he says, And God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. What that means is not an avoidance. It's just saying, well, humanly speaking, No. You, you know, you see, it's obvious. But that's, that's not the, the, the human response to this question. Not the general humanist, for sure. The answer would be, absolutely, I can make these bones live. Because I can make them live. You see, since the fall, the human race has been trying to put itself back together again to find its, its missing, scattered bones and, and somehow to, to add some sinew, some flesh, some, some skin, and, and then try by some feat of the will to, to breathe life back into ourselves. Philosophy of the Enlightenment in the 19th and 20th century, it promised that the power of science and progress, that, that human ingenuity, that our, that our collaboration with one another would, would rescue us. We're on the edge of being able to change all the things that had plagued, you know, the immature people, the unenlightened people of the past. And therefore, that, that, that God and religion were now kind of obsolete. They weren't necessary anymore because, well, there's, there's us. But the reality is that devastated the world in world wars, the, the genocides, the, the cycles of of economic crises, they've painted a fundamentally different picture over and over again. Unstoppable tsunamis or earthquakes or hurricanes that have swept the surface of our globe without anyone being able to do anything to stop them. Meanwhile, psychologically, we have this rising tide of addiction and anxiety and depression and suicide that rages across the Western world. And think about it, here we sit today, masked and sitting in distance from one another, from a global pandemic that we could do nothing to stop. It affected economies, it affected nations, it affected families, it affected probably every individual in this room and every individual around the world in some way, shape, or form. We desperately want to put ourselves back together to hold on to the illusion that we are indeed the, the, the masters of our fate, the captains of our soul, to, to build somehow our own identity, to find ourselves as alive somehow in order to push off, to fend off the gnawing sense that will never be whole. That we are in fact left to ourselves scattered bones. 
So total depravity says that there's no functional fix. Can't make the bones work better. There's no cosmetic overlay and there is no way to give ourselves CPR. Now, I think that these dry bones, they challenged the Christian also in a fundamental way. Because for many of us, we may find ourselves having a self-assessment of goodness that, come on now, I'm doing okay, I'm pretty good overall, or I used to be pretty good, and that makes sense. And what these dry bones point to is that, like, it was that bad. It, it is that bad. You are that dead. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what was actually speaking to my soul when I was answering my mother-in-law. It had some to do with the fact I was like, well, Jet... But what was really coming out in that moment was, you see, because I, you see, there must have been surely something in me that, that God was like, well, I can work with this. I must have had some form of humility maybe or, or like some kind of openness or receptivity. I must have like shown some promise, you know. And so, of course, of course God would move towards me. I just, you know, like, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't just bones. Like, there was a little bit of flesh here and there, a little bit of skin, you know, showing off some skin. And, like, every once in a while, I think I probably managed maybe a breath or two just on my own. So I just need a little bit of God's help, right? Just, just, a, just a little bit from God. And, like, then, and then here we go, and praise be to the Lord. That's more in me, and I think it's more in many of us, especially if we grew up in the church and we came to Christ at a young age. It's like, well, is it really that bad? How much was at stake? What did it take? You see, see, see Jet was going to need some real help. You know what I'm saying? Like he's going to need a real breath from the Lord. I just need like a little straw's worth. Just needed a little help. Not a complete resurrection. But a total resurrection, a total recreation is actually what is needed for each of us. So the dry bones tell us that it's worse than we think. But then we have this living spirit, which tells us that the solution is deeper than we think. Verse 7 and 8 of Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded by the Lord. And as I prophesied, Ezekiel says, there was a sound. And behold, a, a rattling and the, bones come, uh, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. They found themselves. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. And, but there was no breath in them. It's, it's this beginning picture of of the process of, of restoration into a new kind of humanity. But it continues straight from there in verse 9. And, and then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the ruach, which those of you who have been doing Bible Project, you remember that. Prophesy to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So... I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, 
an exceedingly great army. Do, do, you, do you hear the echoes of recreation from, from Genesis chapter 2, you know, back in September? And the Lord says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what happened? The man became a living creature. It's this... this, this um, animating spirit of God that comes and gives life from no life. Not a little bit of life, from no life. From dirt to living being. And so we're having this moment. It's God doing it again after deconstruction. He's giving a picture of reconstruction of something new and transformative happen. You see it? What is required of us to come alive is not simply some small adjustment, not some behavioral modification, nothing less than the renovation of the entirety of our inside. We need to be regenerated, to be made all over again, to be revived by the Spirit of God. It's the only way in which a person can escape that radical situation of total depravity is when the Spirit of God comes and changes the core, changes the heart. You see, in some ways, Ezekiel 37 is like the acting out of the picture that Ezekiel receives from the Lord in, in, in chapter 36, just a few verses before when he talks about what a stoned heart becoming a heart of flesh looks like. Listen to Ezekiel 36. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone. Listen, remove, right? Not, not rehabilitate, not tweak. I will remove it, taking the whole thing out. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Four times in that verse, the words, I will. You see, if there's anything that we've seen now after walking with the nation of Israel, the people of God for, well, a lot of chapters of the Bible is... It's pretty stinking bleak, isn't it? If it's up to them, loved ones, if it's up to us, like bones, dry bones in a valley, that's all that can remain. But the Lord says something that he said all the way at the beginning of the promise to Abraham is, I will. I am going to do this. He says it in verse 12 of Ezekiel 30, 37. He says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves O my people. Then verse 14, and, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. This is the work of God that he's promising to act. And what's amazing about thinking about bones becoming alive, dead things at their core being made new, it must come from someone who can say, I will. 
And it's either going to be you saying, I will, or it's going to be him, us trusting in him when he says, I will. He, he must do it and he promises to do it. And, and as we trust in his I will, two things emerge from us. His I wills, they lead us to humility, that, that he must, that he, he had to. Loved ones, if you, you weren't tweaked. Like he didn't just adjust the dials a little bit on you. Like he had to start over in remaking you. That's the power and the beauty. I mean, this is, if you think about the imagery of this, just think about how much power it takes to accomplish that vision, for that to actually play itself out. Like if I just threw a bag of bones on the ground, like what would it take to actually animate that? Well, it's ridiculous, right? That it can't happen. You can't just suddenly out of nowhere have blood vessels and that's not gonna happen, right? It's impossible, right? Exactly. I fear, I fear that that we have, we oftentimes find ourselves far removed from the reality from which we have come. Just how much his I will had to accomplish in us. It had to do everything, everything. Left to ourselves, we are bones. And that leads us to, to humility I, think, I don't know if this, this quote was attributed to Spurgeon, but I'm not sure. So that's why I didn't put it on the screen. Because if you're not sure, you should put it on the screen. But God's, you can say, um, the quote says, you can choose God in the same way that a dead person can choose to come back to life. That, that's how you can choose God. In the same way that you can choose to come back to life, like that's the same way in which you can choose God. You, you can't. His I wills lead us to humility, but they also give us hope. Like inalterable hope that he will do it, that, that he can do anything. Not like, well, if he can bring jet to Jesus, by all means. No, like, because he can do anything in me. He had to do everything in you. Loved ones, he, he still has to do it in you. The entirety of Galatians, the second half of Galatians is basically trying to tell you that, right? Like, oh, and it doesn't end there. You actually start over and you find yourselves realizing you actually still can't do it. If the spirit does not blow in you, you're left with like the leftovers of the bones and you just rattle around a little bit. The spirit must continue to do it. We are people of faith, not people of the I will myself. So it gives us hope, like even at the bottom at the worst, at the furthest, at the most hopeless state. This is the most hopeless state of the picture for Israel in the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures. I don't know if it gets any worse than this. They're not even human anymore. And God says, hey, Ezekiel, do you think they can live? It's a promise. It's a promise hinted in there. He can do anything. So I don't know what you've got going on in your world. I don't, he can do anything. He brings dead things to life. So what are the kind of people who've been brought from the dead dry bones and who know that they've been brought from dead dry bones? How do they look and what do they live like? Well, they're humble and hopeful. They're alive people. 
They're wanting to do what God commands. He says, I'm going to put my, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in your heart. I'm going to change your heart and make it a, 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 heart, of, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And you know what you're going to, what's going to happen? You're going to want to do what I command. You're, you're going to anticipate and delight in doing my will, God says. Delight in his will. We're the kind of people who look for his spirit. So, so what, does, what does this whole journey look like? Well, Paul's very kind in Ephesians, and he just puts everything of the light I just said. I probably could have just read this instead. But everything we just said, he puts it in one very tight picture in Ephesians chapter 2 and with the New Testament reality of Christ. And this is what he says. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were bones, dead dry bones, following the course of this world because you had no other option, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in how? Well, the passions of our flesh, and we just carried out our desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's dead bones. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were bones, even then he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Loved ones, this is what happened to you. Like, that's what happened to you. You were dead in your, if, you, if you've put your faith in Christ, if your hope is in him, like, that's what happened to you. It's unbelievable. It's piles of bones becoming an army of living men and women. Like, that's, that's who's sitting here. It's the truest thing about you this morning. The scattered bones of your identity have been brought together. The dry bones of your shame have been covered, covered over by God's beauty and Christ's acceptance. The dead spirit of your soul has been replaced by God's spirit of life. You have been made alive. So let me ask you, are you living like you're alive? In what ways are you still rattling around trying to either remake yourself? One of the things in our, it's part of our community group purpose statement. We talk about the purpose of community for us. We say it's to stir up the life of Christ in each other by the Spirit, to stir up the life of Christ in each other by the Spirit. One of the fundamental core beliefs is that we believe that the truest and most fundamental reality about each of us is that we've been given a new heart. Like that's in the baseline of what we talk about in community groups. What that means is what we expect one another to say, hey, <clears throat> we're still getting to know each other or we've known each other for a little while, but because you've been given a new heart, then I'm going to relate to you in light of that. Husbands and wives, like, like if, 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 they, if your husband, if your wife has a new heart, then I'm going to relate in, in to you in light of your new heart, which means that it's been transformed. It wants to do what, what God, it wants to. It has been remade. The depravity has actually been undone. You have a new heart. Now, that doesn't mean you don't show up sometimes as stony heart guy or stony heart girl. Now, I know you do. 
But the truest thing, the most fundamental thing about us is that we've been given a new heart. So let us relate to one another in that way. Let's call out, let's stir up the life of Jesus in us. Like, go after that heart. Not after the depravity that you're seeing. That's the easy thing. Behind that depravity is actually a real heart that wants to move towards what Christ has made us for. That's, that's what it means, by the way, to live in a real community. Because we fight for each other for that. Call each other towards that. All right, I'm going to do something. Why don't you close your eyes? Why don't you take your hand, right hand, and put it over your heart? Now I want you to pray this. I'm going to take a little moment of meditation, allowing this to sink in a little bit. I'm just going to pray this. Pray this to the Lord. Lord, you have given me a new heart. Feel your hand on your chest, deep inside is your physical heart, and pray, Lord, you have given me a new heart. And now pray, Lord, you have given me a new heart. Help me to know it's true. Amen. This vision gives us a picture of dry bones. The problem is worse than we think. It gives us a picture of a living spirit, that the solution is deep, more pervasive than we think. But lastly, it points to a sent prophet with a message that's more powerful than we think. Listen to verse four. It says, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and, and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, God could have just spoken over the dry bones, right? All that would have happened. It would have been just as we saw it, but he doesn't. He asks Ezekiel, to speak. He calls him to actively participate in the restorative resurrection work through the word of the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus echoes back to us in John chapter 20. It says, Jesus said to them again, this is the resurrected Jesus, okay? Resurrected Jesus shows up in the middle, spooks his disciples by appearing in their midst, and he says, peace be with you. Now listen, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. God is sending you and me. We are sent people. We've been breathed on by the grace of the Son of God. We've been filled with the regenerating resurrection spirit of Christ. We have this new heart beating in our bodies and we go to the dry bones of our neighbors, of our coworkers, of our family members, of one another. And like Ezekiel, we speak. 
And we speak exactly what, I, what, what Ezekiel speak. We say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Friend, family, that, that, that they, there is a God who opens graves. And I know him. And he put me back together again. And he's still in some ways putting me together again by the work of his grace. And he wants to put your body and your mind and your soul together again too. He wants to transform your heart from, from an impermeable and unyielding stone to a, to a responsive and life-giving flesh. And he will do it if you let him. Do you want him to? Loved ones, the good news of the gospel that we have and that we can share is not just that he has given visions, has pointed to promises, but that he fulfilled that promise that God put on bone and flesh and with a whole heart of flesh that he entered the world of dry and dead bones of stoned hearts and in order to make our hearts whole to revive our dead bones he became dead bones for us on the cross he transplanted his life, his, his flesh, and his spirit into us. And then he rose from the dead, conquering death, leaving all the dead, dry bones of ours behind in the grave. And in so doing, he made us alive again to him. That's the good news that we have. That's the good news that we share. And so we come to the communion table the communion that you have at your home or on your seats, as we do each week. And our hearts are, are humbled. And we take his body that was substituted for our condemned body and his living blood transfused for our contaminated blood. And we receive them and we receive him in it by grace as the ultimate expression of his love and of his fulfilled promise of grace to, un to us. And in the midst of us, the invitation for us to be the kind of people who draw others towards that life and love. Let's pray. Father, this we know. We needed a rescuer. We could not rescue ourselves, could not put ourselves back together again. And you knew that. And so from, from the beginning of time, before time was time, your son became, as scripture says, crucified from the foundations of the world, the one who would make us whole by his being made undone by his bones not being broken, but by his blood being spilled, by his life being offered up for us. And so we come to this table and we remember that moment and what it purchased for us. 
And Lord, it's, it's the stamp of approval. It's the guarantee that what you say is true about us is true about us. That we are loved and accepted and forgiven and, and we are made alive in you. That this is, this is it. This is what tells us that. And so Lord, we want to we wanna embrace that. We want to drink this cup. We want to eat this bread. And we want to do so in a way that reminds our bodies and our souls that we belong to you because of him. And we want to do that in a way that is worship towards you. And so Lord, as we take this cup, as we take this bread, Lord, would you, would you swell through your spirit the new life, the new heart that you've given us in a way that allows us to walk out of this place looking for the ways in which we get to live out of that new heart, more free, more repentant, more alive. We thank you that you do it for us, in us, that we cannot make it and do it for ourselves. And so, Lord, we surrender to you once again, to the praise and glory of your name, that anything that comes of us would be because of you and to you. We pray all this in the powerful and beautiful and remaking name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When you're ready, take the communion of body and bread in your own time.